So I'm Angus Fletcher. I'm here to talk about how I received a medal from the U.S. Army for a new method for uptraining innovation, leadership, and resilience by identifying a second part of your brain, a part of your brain that doesn't run on data, but that runs on story. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Professor Arvind Chandrasekharan sits down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional or personal lives. This program is brought to you by The Ohio State University, Max M. Fisher College of Business. Welcome to There's a Better Way. I'm here with Professor Angus Fletcher, who's actually a professor in English in the College of Arts and Sciences. Welcome to the program, Angus. I'm thrilled to be here, Aravind. Great. So Angus, you have a very unique background. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've never seen a background like yours. Again, let me, for the for the listeners out there, you have a, a specialization. You have some interest in neuroscience and uh, and literature, mostly in terms of creative writing. Uh, and, and then you also have some interest in terms of psychology, decision-making, and leadership. So neuroscience, English literature, decision-making, and leadership. Connect all these for us, Angus. Absolutely. So yeah, I started out in neuroscience and I really became interested in ways that we can improve the brain's performance. How can we make ourselves smarter? How can we make ourselves more creative? How can we make ourselves more empathetic? How can we do all of these kinds of wonderful things? And sort of the big insight that I've had in my career is the power that the stories we tell ourselves have to shift how our brain works. And so we normally think of story as a way to communicate with others. And it can be very, very powerful at doing that. And I've spent a lot of my career working actually in Hollywood in the publishing industry. And I've worked with a lot of firms in my life, marketing and communications. But actually the secret of story is that the story you tell yourself about yourself is what determines your future performance. And so I've spent a lot of my career in particularly the last two years working with elite units in United States Army Special Operations, working a lot of C-suites, and actually also working with third graders <laughs> on how the different kinds of stories that individuals tell themselves shift their performance and can help them more successfully achieve the goals and outcomes they want to achieve in their own lives. That's great. Let's talk more about that, Angus. Let's talk about this whole idea of story science and narrative things, right? For our listeners out there, how do how do you think that makes a change? Because again, we all hear about influencing people, doing different things. You have a different take towards it by using stories to persuade people, right? Tell us more about how do you do that and what's the science around it? So the big science starts with your brain. And your brain is a lot of different machines in your head doing different things. One of those machines, which I think we know a lot about in business, is the data processing machine. We have a very powerful data processing machine in our heads that's very good at inboarding and onboarding facts, information, observations, crunching that, making logical judgments, coming up with systems and processes, math, all this. That's a huge part of what our brain does. And we have a lot of mechanisms in our brain that are really good at that. But another machine in our brain is story. Story, uh, unlike logic, is low data, even no data. You can make up a story with very few facts or even no facts at all. That's what kids do when they imagine alternate universes. And the question is, is why is there so much of this machinery in our head? Why is there so much story machinery in our head? And that's because a lot of life involves low and no data situations, particularly if you're a leader in a company. 
Uh, if you're a leader, you're often at the limit edge of knowledge. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of volatility. How do you anticipate the future when there's very little data? Well, you have to tell yourself a story of what the future could be. And you can't just tell yourself one story. You have to tell yourself many, many possible stories so you can be flexible and adapt as new information comes in. And so a huge part of what the brain evolved to do is to be a planner, a plotter, a story maker. And that machinery is what we engage in our lab when we try and help you improve your brain's performance at those tasks. Because story, even though it's very powerful and very wonderful, has a lot of obvious problems. It can lead you into magical thinking very quickly. It can be heavily influenced by emotion. And we know that a lot of people's performance is very negatively impacted by emotional states they experience. And so we work a lot on how you can separate story from emotion, how we can use it to be more creative, more adaptive, open up the possibilities that you have as a leader for adapting and envisioning the space. And once you learn to communicate with yourself, you can also often learn to communicate more effectively with other people. And so I always see communication as something that grows out ultimately of you learning the story processes inside your own brain. Okay. So I know like you talk about this from a, from your lab standpoint, right? So you do have a, a, a group of people, including yourself at Ohio State actually working on this research. Now let's take move away from the lab again again if i'm a manager out there right i don't have a, a controlled a experiment area where i can bring in people and tell them about stories and see how brains operate what how can i as a manager use this concept of storytelling and, and use the power of the brain part that you talked about how can i do that so the first thing that we notice with people is that your performance increases the most when you know your own story and so it's really important to spend a lot of time reflecting on your own personal history and your own past and having clarity about your own personal history. And when you're thinking about your personal history, a few things are important to highlight from the get-go. First of all, the story you tell yourself has to be honest. Your brain is not going to believe a lie about itself. <laughs> and I notice a lot of people out there try and tell themselves untruths or half-truths about their life. And a lot of that can be innocent. I mean, you might just want to forget things and not deal with them and not process them. But it's very important as a leader or any kind of person who's in charge of an organization to do a thorough inventory of yourself, of your brain, all your experiences, surface them, work through them honestly. The next thing that we talk about in terms of improving performance is to identify key moments in your life when you have changed in a positive way. We call these conversion moments. And so one of the things I often encourage leaders to do is look back at moments in their life when they faced a challenge and they overperformed. What caused that overperformance? What was unique about you? And we go back and we walk step by step through the story of that. And we say, what were the external events and what was the internal response? And we find that highly successful leaders are very good at going back to their own personal history, identifying these positive moments, slowing them down and replaying them and learning a lot about their own internal method, their own internal story. And so we do a lot of that kind of work with leaders. And so the first thing I always say is before you even start working on your team, work on yourself, work on your own story, work on your own narrative, find that authentic positive change narrative in yourself. Okay, great. So Angus, I know you have this book. I've, I've read that book, honestly. It's a wonderful book about Wonderworks. Right? The, the, uh, so even in that book, you have some examples of leaders in the past. Right? Can you, for our listeners out there, are there any examples, specific stories that you, you have about leaders 
in the past or exemplar leaders who are using stories as a way of improving themselves? Sure. So um, let me give you actually an example from uh, an MBA class I taught here recently at Fisher. And I had a student in that class who was a good leader, but not a great leader. And I asked her to kind of work through some of her own personal history. And what she started to realize when she started to look through her personal history is that she had a good relationship with her kids, but she had a great relationship with her stepkids. Mm -hmm. Her relationship with her stepkids was better than her relationship with her kids. And so I said, well, that's an unusual thing. I, let's think about that. Let's talk through and let's work through the history of those relationships. And what she started to realize is that her relationship with her kids was very much bound up in her desire for them to succeed. Hmm. Whereas her relationship with her stepkids was very much, I'm a resource for you. And when she started to think through about all the success she had in her relationship with her stepkids, she started to realize, well, as a leader, maybe I need to behave more towards my employees as though they are my stepkids as opposed to them being my kids. And she learned to kind of separate herself emotionally in certain ways and access these certain kinds of skills that she developed outside. So that's a very kind of simple example. But the main key is, is that all of us have these moments of success in our life that are relevant to our personal leadership style. And the key is to kind of walk through and inventory those moments and see how we can leverage them to, to kind of, you know, help access the potential of the people around us. Oh, that's great. I mean, that that is a very nice story about how do you think about like your role as a leader, as a step kid versus the, the old kid. So Angus, is there a, is there science and data that shows that this kind of uh, capability is something that can be nurtured over time? Or should this be something that people have to do it early in their life? Because you seem to tell me that like you work with kids also. Does it mean that when you work with adults, it's too late for them or it's maybe the effect is not that pronounced compared to like when you work with young kids, when they are forming these kind of things in their brains? Uh, it's never too late for you. And in fact, uh, we just completed a study with the United States Army for which my research team was awarded a medal, a commendation medal by General Foley of the United States uh, uh, Army University. And what we did in that study is we took 200 senior officers in the Army. So that's not only adults, but extremely experienced and extremely successful leaders. And as we all know, by the time you get to be a successful leader, you are quite set in your ways. <laughs> you know, you have established what works for you and you're not necessarily that open to change. And we ran those 200 senior officers through this training, through two hours of this training, the same training that we, that we uh, give to, to, to third graders. And the Army, in an independent trial, determined that those senior leaders had an effective IQ increase of 14 points at oh, solving okay. open-ended complex problems. And an open-ended complex problem is the kind of problem that as a leader you face all the time. That's a, that's a problem that does not have a known answer. Sure. And it may not even have a right answer. There may be several appropriate answers that could solve it. And it's just an answer that you have to invent because no one in your organization knows how to answer it. And so that's a great example of how, how senior leaders, in this case, in the Army's case, in their 30s, were able to, 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 to radically activate this power in their brain. And what we find is that in most individuals, it's there, it's just not being used. And the analogy I would, I would use is when you become an adult, you spend less time running around outside. You usually get a little bit out of shape. It's harder to walk upstairs. You get winded more easily, you know, doing kind of basic tasks. But that doesn't mean that your muscles aren't there 
or that your lung capacity isn't there. If you just work on it a little bit, it comes right back just like it was when you were a kid. And so those are the kinds of exercises we do. And we typically see very fast results very quickly. That's congratulations, by the way, on the commendation. That's quite an honor. So I, I do think, again, like going back to what you just said, I do think um, there is a lot of science that's built into this whole idea of uh, storytelling and, and narration. So let me let me flip my switch differently and ask you a different question. So so if if I'm again, I, I asked you as a manager, and you said your answer to that was okay. First, do an introspection. Make sure that you show that and you apply that and all. You're going to have a lot of skeptics in your companies, right? I mean, you're going to have like you just talked about the the, the thirty year experience general in the army. Again, it's their way to do things kind of thing, right? So is this process, can this process enable in terms of changing like that whole culture, whole habit mentality? Because a lot of companies, believe it or not, are facing that kind of a thing where again, like people are doing the same things for 40 years or 30 years and I'm not going to change. So how do I, in that case, I'm moving from myself and then moving it to others, right? How do I go about this using this particular logic? So the key to change is to have a growth mindset. And that's something that any psychologist will tell you. And I think we all know, and I think most companies know. And growth is natural to humans and to life. Growth is what living things do. Um, So all you really have to do is get people back in touch with their nature. And the way you do that is you show them that growth works. Growth increases profits. Growth increases productivity. And it does that in a lot of ways simply by just engaging motivation and people's desire to be there. When employees want to grow, when employees want to learn, when employees want to develop, they put all that energy into the company. And so a big part of this is simply just activating what is already latent in a company. And you have to say to yourself, well, why does a growth mindset leave a company? Well, it's because of a, it's a healthy thing that comes from efficiency and optimization. Once a company figures out a method that works, it becomes more efficient and it optimizes. And that's a wonderful thing because you're now exploiting this stable environment. But from a human perspective, running like a machine takes you away from your nature. Because as a human, you always want to grow, you always want to experiment. And so what you have to do in any company is you have to balance that energy and uh, optimization and efficiency cycle by always leaving a little room for personal growth and personal discovery. And that ensures that when your company encounters a downturn because the market becomes volatile and your efficiencies and your optimizations are starting to crumble, that other part can can bounce back. So the first thing you simply do is you sit down and you just explain that to people. And everybody knows that. I mean, everybody knows that, that work is more fun when you're growing and you're learning and you're discovering and you're trying new things. Nobody ever disagrees with that. The only reason that they don't want to do it is they're scared that it's going to impact profits or that it's somehow going to create inefficiencies. And when you remind them that just a little bit of an investment in this growth area is actually what ensures efficiency and optimization in the future. And when you walk them through that cycle, everyone understands it. It's just common sense. And usually you don't get a lot of resistance once you can actually start to show the practical gains. That's great. So Angus, I know we're running out of time. Uh, What's next for you? So you've been researching this kind of a thing, right? What are other things that you're doing, which is more of the, the next steps for you and your lab? So uh, the, the, the sort of future thing that, that, that my lab is, is, is most interested in now is translating these insights that we've developed through U.S. special operations into the business community. And so we've had enormous success with all these elite groups in figuring out how to help them adapt to highly volatile, uncertain, circumstance, uh, uncertain situations, how to develop leadership abilities, um, how to envision multiple futures, how to do low data processing. 
And we're now starting to move that over more into leadership and sort of train various companies and senior execs in that. And another area that we're interested in working in, which is, which is sort of adjacent to that, is athletes and athletics. And we're having the opportunity to work with a lot of professional franchises, professional sports franchises. We're going to work a little bit with Ohio State athletics here. Because to be an athlete is always to be in a dy dynamic situation. Things are always happening very rapidly. And that's because the, 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 the similarity between athletics and business is that these are contested spaces. Yep. You're competing against someone. And when you're competing against someone, it produces what they call in the military asymmetric conflict. And that's what creates the volatility and the uncertainty. And so what we're really all interested in ultimately in my lab is the underlying brain processes. Mm -hmm. And that has applications to all these different fields. And we would like to go and, and explore as many different communities as possible. We work a little bit with sales forces too now so that we can take all those insights back to the lab, translate those into brain practices, and then spread them out through the educational system. That's wonderful, Angus. I'm sure, again, like as you continue this journey, trying to like extract what you've learned from the special forces into business and sports and beyond, I'm pretty sure there'll be new ideas and new concepts emerging, which again is going to influence back the, the art of thinking better. So again, I really enjoyed uh, this time with you, Angus. So thanks again for taking some time and spending time with us. Thank you, Arvind. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or more information about The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, please visit fisher.osu.edu.